Joining me now on the Lakeshore Records podcast is Narcos composer Pedro Bronfman. How are you doing today, Pedro? I'm great, Tony. Thank you for having me. It's great to be talking to you. I'm a big, big fan of yours. Have been for quite a while now, and uh, I'm thankful to Lakeshore for giving me this opportunity to uh, to chat with you about Narcos. But before we delve into the the world of Pablo Escobar, um, let's go back a little bit and talk uh, about your musical education, um, if we can. Did you grow up as a film lover? I grew up as a film lover. Yeah, I was I was always into film and I was always into music, but it never occurred to me until uh, I was, I don't know, 20 something years old to actually join the two and that I could actually make a living uh, writing music for film. So wow. I've, I've always studied music. I started uh, playing the guitar, nylon string guitar, Brazilian guitar when I was about 10, 11 years old. And at, at around 13, 14, I got really heavy into into jazz 50s and 60s jazz i was a big coltrane west montgomery miles davis fan uh gordon trying to transcribe all those solos and then when i was about 18 i went to berkeley and right yeah berkeley college of music in boston where i studied composition and arranging and big band writing and performance so i was doing a bit of it all and Actually, later on, all of those skills combined to help me be a, a versatile and, and, and be able to, to write music for film, where, which, I mean, I think as many instruments as you play, as, as much experience as you've had in your life only adds to the career of a film, film composer, since each project you're doing different things. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. It, it's different when you're working uh, from a film composer point of view. When you're in a band, once you have kind of your sound, bands rarely stray from that but with a film composer you can literally change styles from project to project to project so you're always kind of you're always thinking about different instruments and this can go there or this could do this so it's uh no it's it's a fascinating world the world of film composition yeah i I agree i mean it wasn't until i moved actually i came to the to LA and I wanted to study like I, i was getting more and more into the studio and doing producing records and things and writing music and arranging music. And then when I got to L.A., my girlfriend at the time uh, was at UCLA, uh, studying at UCLA Film, and all of her friends needed music, and she needed music for her shorts and things. And that's that's basically how I how I felt. And I'm like, this is what I was meant to be. I don't know how I didn't figure this out sooner. So it, it was really serendipitous. And then I went to work with a with uh, Jeff Rona, film composer, doing some additional music for him, mostly when he needed like Latin music and and Brazilian music, and and then I got heavy into the film of uh, into the world of uh, trailer music, which was big at the time. Composers being hired to write either libraries that would then be used in trailers or or just yeah. directly for trailers and commercials, and and one thing led to the other. But I really felt like I found my my calling. For many years, I was touring with my own band or touring with other with singers and I, I while i enjoyed it at times at times i'm like i don't see me doing this in 20 years i don't i have to figure something else out either be a record producer or or run my studio or do something like that so i really i mean I, luckily i found early enough i found uh, this niche that i really think i was i was meant hmm. meant to be in yeah i was going to ask you about kind of musical aspirations as it comes to playing in a band and you, you mentioned that you did actually play uh you've played live music before did you never think you know that was the career that you were meant to have being in a in a band and making records and touring all over the world i i did i did and i actually did it 
for a while, for a few years. So at Berkeley, my when I first started studying at Berkeley, my major was performance. So all I wanted to do was right. play, and I wanted to perform, and I wanted to be a jazz jazz musician and and write for big band and do all the, the, the I thought I wanted to do all the touring and all you know so when I finished Berkeley I moved back to Brazil and I started doing exactly that I had I put my own band together I was writing a lot of music and we were touring South America playing uh, mostly Latin jazz and and like fusion original compositions and, and arrangements for for existing songs and I was also playing with like more mainstream some some instrumental music but also some singers and and uh, while i thought growing up that's what i wanted to do the the actual doing it is was at least to me i mean i'm, I'm sure people are fulfilled and there are people who that's what they love to do they're all for me i was more i was getting more into the uh, running the studio and and writing music working with with technology and starting to get into that whole world so i i actually wanted to spend more time in, inside and in my studio and with myself than outside just playing music and playing every every night the same music or or you know at least jazz you get the improvisational aspect so you never play the same concert twice i guess you're always trying to, to innovate and to improvise and to go new directions but still it felt, felt repetitive it felt a lot of the gigs were like in restaurants or in places where people weren't really listening to the music brazil is not really huge into instrumental music so a lot of times i felt like i was hitting my head against <laughs> against the wall trying to go to go through the wall instead of going around you know? so yeah so there were a few things that even though i was very young I, I started doing that at around 22 when i came back from berkeley and did it through 26 27 27 years old i was like oh, i don't know if this is exactly the path i want to be doing when i'm 50 mm. or when I'm 40 something so so I started to gravitate more towards the the studio and to learn I had never done music in a computer I didn't know I used computers only for email and, and browsing and things like that right right so I started actually I, I, at Berkeley I didn't go into technology at all I was mostly doing pen and paper writing arranging and also spending a lot of time with my instrument so I really delve into that uh, later on and as I got here uh, to LA in 2001 that's really when when I went deep into the the technology aspect of it it's crucial yeah. it is it, it's it's you make a valid point like it, it is such a crucial part of music now it is. it's not the same as you know four guys in a room playing music together now the technological side of any kind of music now is so it's so prevalent and, and knowing that stuff is kind of invaluable to uh, to making your own music Certainly. even if you're doing only acoustic music and you don't do electronic music at all you still need to be able if you're a film composer you need to be able to capture it to record it on your own to mm. to manipulate the audio to speed it up slow it down to use the different like we i usually i do a big sampling session in the beginning of every project where i i record myself playing every s instruments that i know how to play and instruments that i don't know how to play and like bowing guitars or bringing instruments that i've never played before into the studio and i just get sounds out of it and then we go into and i have a, a guy who helps me who's really good with technology juan carlos he edits he helps me edit all of that audio and then we create all of these software instruments that now are spread throughout the keyboard so if i play a note in the keyboard i'm actually getting the sound that i recorded that right. originally, originally it was it's an organic source so it sounds organic but now 
I can play it in any key and any pitch and up and down the keyboard and it's amazing what technology I mean for film composers who really need to do a lot of music in a very short period of time a lot of time technology absolutely crucial yeah. yeah i mean it's one of the things that i've heard from uh, a couple of the composers i've heard is sometimes the the time limits that are put on you are you know insane kind of you need to be composing for something the next day or the following day or you know you're not given much time at all so having yeah. the technology there it's, it's become you know it's become invaluable to you certainly and and it's it's i mean it's uh, i don't know if i'd be a composer if i was born at the time of pen and paper, who knows, maybe I would, but <laughs> I really find myself that I'm, like, my main instrument nowadays is the, the computer, and it is capturing the sounds, manipulating the sounds, creating, programming grooves, doing different, and, and really, it's uh, limitless, the, the amount of uh, styles that you can work with, and also the, the, the kind of music that you can do, and of course, bringing in great players, and bringing in great instrumentalist or just doing it all myself which is uh, something that also the, the computer i always avoided i think bringing in other people brings different flavors and and only enriches the the experience but sometimes you don't have the time or or the budget to bring in more people so i end up doing it all myself no no it makes sense when you uh, when you started to get more into the world of you know you're composing for uh, trailers and shorts did you go back and start listening to specific composers to uh you know get a taste of what had come before yes for for sure i mean i've always listened to classical music so i've always i, I had a, a a good idea of classical music in general but i think i really delve mm. into film music like listening more and more to film scores not only older film scores, but contemporary film scores and what people are doing. I'm, I, nowadays, it's mostly what I listen to, to be honest. I mean, I listen to a lot of classical music, too, but I try to keep up with what's being done, what n new techniques film composers are, are using, what, what the, the modern sound is, whether people are using more themes, less themes, more melody, less melody, how they're producing the... So I'm very, I'm very into that. I'm very curious about that nowadays. Mm. I think um, I first became aware of your work. Um, I think someone had sent me Elite Squad at some point. Mm -hmm. And when uh, you scored the remake of Robocop, and that was the first time that I, I, you know, I kind of, I put two and two together and thought, oh, it's, it's, it's that guy who did the Elite Squad. And then from there... Um, I went from Robocop and then Deep Web, which, which is a fantastic, fantastic score. And it's, uh, it's a brilliant documentary as well. Uh, uh, oh, I'm glad you saw that. Yeah. Quite it's, uh, a, it's a frightening documentary to watch. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's very heavy going, but those Robocop and Deep Web are two very fantastic scores. I mean, I grew up, um, I was a, a product of the uh, 80s and 90s, so Robocop played a, you know, it was kind of a big thing for me when I was a kid. How was it working on kind of the reboot of one of these uh, beloved 80s classics? It, it was, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity. I couldn't believe when I got the call that, that it, <laughs> at, at the same time, daunting, right? You're like, oh my God, really? Oh, to, yeah. You have those themes and you have those love, the, the Robocop lovers, and how are they going to hate me? How are we going to do this? But uh, but I was working with people I had worked with before, like you said, on the Elite Squad movies with with Josep Agilla, yeah. and and we were all about. I mean, we, we respect the old film so much, but we wanted to do a, a new film. You know, this is a new RoboCop. It's 
It's uh, based on the story of the original one where the guy, the policeman, loses his most of his body and has to to become like half a robot and but at the same time has some humanity left in him. But it's a modern day Robocop. We deal with with politics, with drones, with how technology is going to rule or not rule our world in, in, in a few years. And it's uh, I, I, I thought it was a, a fascinating subject. So it allowed us to explore a new a new route to them they wanted a, a modern score they wanted not a very thematic score every time i try to put put in a more or a, or a string swell or a more beautiful melody everyone was like no you're dating it let's let's keep it more let's keep it more about the mood and yeah he should have like a, a powerful melody and it has i mean there are a few themes in the new robocop but and we also i managed i kept insisting that we should bring find a spot to bring the old theme, the old uh, Mr. Polidorus' theme back. And we found, we found a spot when there's this, this guy played by Samuel L. Jackson who has this over-the-top right-wing show on TV. So we felt that whenever he's speaking or he is, it's more cinematic and it's more over-the-top. So we couldn't maybe fit that melody that everyone felt was too much for the new Robocop. We could use it a couple of times over him. So, so we managed to bring that theme, that theme back since I'm such a fan and we, we found a spot for it. I mean, that's, it's such a recognizable theme. If you're, if you're a fan of, of film music or if you're, you know, you're just a fan of, you know, 80s movies, it's hard to not know that theme. And yeah. one of the things I genuinely loved about the, the score you created for Robocop was you didn't copy the original. It was completely different. It, it, it could be fair. It could be so easy to just, oh, well, you know, we'll just remake the score like you know people are remaking the film but you did something different and that's you know i was a i was a genuinely big fan of the robocop score and it, it kind of it made me think right i need to keep a i need to keep track of pedro and see what what's going on with him because this this is a guy that i'm happy to hear a lot I, I, a lot of the robocop fans were like oh my god what is this guy doing we wanted to bring basil back he's <laughs> no i'm kidding it's just I, I understand that a lot of them are hard, hardcore fans and used to the hmm. original film and they have a hard time accepting that we were re- remaking it and that mm. some Brazilians were involved and it's like, what are, what are they, what are they <laughs> going to do with our film? But in the end, I think it turned out well. I think it, it, it made money. I think uh, a lot of the people who went with a fresh eye, willing to, to see something new, really liked the film. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm very proud of it, of the film. And yeah, the- yeah. It's one, of, it's one of those things. The original Robocop already exists. So if you want to watch that, you go and watch that. But for the new exactly. people out there, the people that want to see something new, well, there's a new version. So you can enjoy that and you can enjoy the brand new score for it. So that that's kind of how I look at it. You know, I had Robocop as a kid and now I have it as an adult as well. And they're two different things. And I like both of them the same. And it was fun because we recorded, we recorded the orchestra in London at Air Studios and the the one tuba player and a trombone player said, oh, we actually played in the original score. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> 1986. So it was almost 30 years before they had played in the in the original Basel mm. score that apparently was recorded in London as well. So it was... Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about Deep Web as well, because it's it's one of my... When I first heard it, I thought, damn, that's there's something to this. And, I, and then it took me a while to actually see the film. Uh, and I think the film, the film is currently streaming on Netflix, uh, I believe. So if anyone hasn't seen it, I do recommend it. It's, it's a fascinating documentary. But how did you get brought into the project uh, of Deep Web? 
I got a call from from Alex Winter. I had never heard of him, but uh, apparently he contacted my agents. He really liked uh, my music and the way I, I, I mixed the electronics, but at the same time, well, his words, it had a soul and it had uh, like emotions to it, and that's what he was looking for. It's something... Uh, I think he had he had watched uh, They Killed Sister Dorothy, which is a documentary I, I did mm -hmm. for, for HBO a while back, and and the Elite Squad movies, and and I think he has actually the same agent as Giuseppe Gini here in in the U.S. So I don't know if that played a role in in it or not, but we were talking for a long time. I was in the middle of, of Narco season one, and I didn't think I would have the time, and he was tr he was really he really wanted to work with me. So I'm like, yeah, let's get together. Let me watch the film. And once I saw it, it's like you said, I think it's such a, an important, uh, subject matter. It's such yeah. a, a precedent setting, uh, trial and, and about, I mean, all, everything that's going to happen in the next 20 years about, you know, uh, privacy and, 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 and how we use the internet and the deep web and all of that. Yeah. And, and it really was, I didn't know much about it. And it was, not only watching the film, but spending time with Alex, and he's he's really an expert. He delved deep into it. He met with every, as you see in the film, with every uh, crypto uh, anarchist and with every, every deep web guy, every people who are involved in the Silk Road. Uh, so he really knows about a lot about it. So it was a, uh, a wake-up call, really. I got to understand a lot more what's going on and and what to expect. And also, I, f I fell in, I mean, in love a little bit with the story of Ross, Ross Ulbricht, the guy who, yeah. who theoretically, I mean, I, we know he was involved in generating in the begin, in the beginning of, uh, of the Silk Road, but we don't really know if everything he was uh, accused of, if he actually did it, or if there were multiple dread, mm. I'm getting deep into the, the story. <laughs> but I got, I got contacted by, by Alex and I ended up watching the film and I'm like, okay, I got to find time. So it was a really uh, hectic time. I was doing season one of Narcos. I was doing Deep Web and I had another uh, project called Rio Heat, all three at the same time in the first eight months of 2015. Wow. Uh, but it, and, and the, the good thing about it is that each one had its own musical world. So it was easier to jump from one to the other without, I think if they were all sort of in the same realm it might have been difficult mm. to differentiate but the fact that one was more electronic we were really deep web we were really using a lot of pulses a lot of synths processing whatever organic sounds we were recording it was all being run through processors and and distorted and and so it's it's really a an interesting different sounding score from narcos that's more acoustic more uh a lot of south american influence and uh, but yeah, it, it was a fascinating project, and it and it ended up being we we did it fairly quickly. It worked out really well. Alex was pleased with everything I was delivering, and and I'm very turned mm. out. And we ended up actually also releasing the the soundtrack through Lakeshore. Yeah, that's that. I I originally heard it through um, Lakeshore Records, and it's it's not very often that I'll hear a new score, and then I'll go and have to see the film but there was something about the score the score intrigued me and then i read kind of a little bit about what the documentary was about and i thought oh you know this could be quite interesting and i kind of stored it away in the back of my mind somewhere and then one night when it popped up on netflix i thought oh, fantastic now i can actually see uh you know the images to to the score and they're absolutely blown away so if anyone hasn't heard or seen deep wed 
and they're listening to this podcast, please go and check out both. Both are incredibly fantastic. But you did mention that you're also working on Narcos, and, and that's what we're here to talk about today, because uh, Narcos is now available on CD and digital through Lakeshore Records, with a vinyl release coming from Invader very, very shortly. Now... The series Narcos has kind of taken Netflix and the world uh, by storm. Everybody is every. I, I don't know one person that has watched the show and has not been one hundred percent invested. I mean, from the first episode, I think I ended up watching the whole thing in the space of forty-eight hours. Um, I just, I had to, I had to know, even though I, I know a little about Pablo's story. Uh, I still, I had to know more, more and more and more. And it's, it's such a fantastic story and made fantastically well. So tell me, how, how did you get involved in the world of Narcos? Uh, well, I, again, uh, my main collaborator and, and the guy who, who I've done my first feature film with, Josep Adilia, he was involved with, with Narcos. He directed the first two episodes and is an executive producer in the film. So but also Eric Newman, who was a producer on Robocop, and I had never worked with him before then. He, he's the producer on Narcos, so I think the two of them, and then me being from South America, were like, oh, it's a no-brainer, we should call, we should call Pedro. The, the concern, in, I remember, in Eric Newman's head was, it's TV, it's fast-paced, he's more of a film guy, can, can he do this? And it's really a different world, TV and film. Even, even though we're doing Netflix, and it's more of a 10-hour film than a, we try to, to have discipline and to finish one episode every two weeks. The music side of things, I mean, and the dub. So I have. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, so it is fast paced. But, but I told him, I look, I've worked with, with advertising and I've worked with trailer music. And it's usually you have to send multiple versions in two days. So I'm used <laughs> to it. And it wasn't a problem at all. It actually it worked out fine. But I remember that concern coming up since I had mostly done film up until that point. And, uh, but I mean, the story of Escobar, of course, I'm, I remember growing up in, in, in Brazil and hearing about, I mean, Colombia, they're far neighbors to the northeast, northwest, sorry, of, of Brazil. So they're not that close, but I remember hearing about when a bomb exploded or when a plane came down, hearing those, those headlines on the, on the nightly news about what was going on in Colombia and, and just not knowing much about it, but just saying, "Oh my God, it's so it's 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 terrible." And then the opportunity to really understand how how complex the situation was, how many players there were, how the U.S. was involved politically and with the agents on the ground, and and how what a dichotomy that main character is. I mean, it's, he's so he's so rich, he's so because he's a terrible guy. He's capable of killing thousands of people, but at the same time, he's a family man originally he wanted to be president mm -hmm. and he wanted to have a better Colombia and help the poor and, and everything got lost in the way. And, and the more, the more insane he goes, you see on season two that we just completed and it's coming out in se September 2nd, I believe uh, the 10, the new 10 episodes. It's really, we're with Pablo most of the uh, season two and we really see uh, the demise of Pablo, not only inside his own head and, and, but all the circle closing in and everyone going after him from the Cali cartel, the, 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 the guerrillas, the, the Americans, the, the Colombian army, everyone, the circle was really closing in and, and you can see, I mean, Wagner Mora shine as, as, as Escobar. He's done a phenomenal job 
well, in season one, but I think in season two even more. Yeah, he was so unbelievably good in in season one. You know, it's kind of in in the UK. I mean, Pablo Escobar. I, I know who Pablo Escobar is through pop culture. I I'd never growing up here. Never kind of. I don't remember. I mean, when when all this was happening, I would have been a child anyway, so it's not something that was fresh in my memory. But I've always heard about the story of Pablo Escobar, how, you know, the people in the streets worshipped him and thought he was this, you know, fantastic human being. But like you say, he did have that thing where he would kill, you know, he's responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. But yet there are still this group of people that absolutely worship him and adore him. And what the show, the Netflix show is showing us is both of those sides. And it's a brilliant show. And I think part of the success of the show is the score because you have these two that like there's these two layers where you have the latin influenced uh the flamenco style and there's just this beautiful music but then underneath it there's kind of this um there's an almost malevolent force just bubbling under the surface on some of the tracks yeah and it's kind of letting you know that yeah everything's fine now but not everything is is what it seems and and that's the kind of the takeaway that i get from the score That's that's a great great description. You put it better than I than I would, but but yeah, that was the objective, not to hit people over the head with just dark music and just you, you know, oh, if something he's killing someone, let's just. Sometimes, of course, you need to do it, and you need to help with the suspense and the action. And but it's a very, it's I would say it's the most melodic score I've done so far. I mean, sometimes if you hear the album, it's it you don't so you wouldn't associate it necessarily with oh my god, this is going on. Mm. In Narcos, because it can be so melodic and it can be sweet at times, but then you have, like you said, you always have something malevolent, some some dark force bub- bubbling underneath. Even in the sweet tracks, you have some discord, some dissonance, or a lot of the bowed bowed guitars and like screeching up top, and and a lot of the ambience creating some 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 discomfort. But uh, but but yeah, the, I think season one was. Uh, there's a lot of guitars, ethnic guitars, the charango, ronroco, the tiple, the, the South American guitars, and also nylon string guitars. There's a lot of, of percussion, sometimes playing Colombian rhythms and sometimes playing like ethnic uh, rhythms, but we always try to bring the score more to a, a mainstream. I mean, have those moments, but have it more... Uh, like bring bring that flavor into a more mainstream, even sometimes noir uh, type of score. You know, uh, influenced uh, some 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 light orchestra and some noir noir influences, but using that. And I think in season two, we're able. I mean, I don't know if we should spoil, but we're able to transition even more. And as the stakes are higher, as the circle is really closing in, we get we get. Uh, more and more sophisticated with the music there's less maybe colombian grooves less beautiful melodies and more although there's still times for the emotional moments where the beautiful melodies come back but it's 
it's uh, it's a very I think it's a very sophisticated score for season two. Oh, I can't wait! I, I literally cannot wait. I've marked it down. I'm kind of counting down the days until I can kind of rush through uh, season two. But I mean, working on a show like Narcos, where there is ten episodes, but there is there's a lot of music in the show. You know, I I, I can assume that the the amount of score you have to create is much more than you would on any film. Yeah, considering all of the the, 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 the episodes together, for sure. It's about, I think it's, it's an average, it, it averages between 25 and 35 minutes of music per, per episode. So there is, there is a significant amount of music. And we also have a lot of, especially in season one, I think in season two, that starts to shift a little bit as it gets darker. And as, like, like I said, the stakes are higher and, and the the really the suspense is elevated. We have more of my music and less of licensed music. But in season one, we have a lot of like music that would be playing in Colombia at that time, or music that would be playing in in South America at that time. We have uh, really Eliza Richardson, who's the music supervisor on the show, did a, a phenomenal job doing a lot of research and figuring out we never have a song that would not be out of that period that would be like, oh, this song actually came out in 2000, you're playing seven, <laughs> you know? So it's really, it's really, uh, uh, she did a great job in researching and finding the, the songs that we could license that would fit when they're in a, in a restaurant or when they're in a bar or when, or when we just want to score. Jose is very much about that, like, like Scorsese and a lot of great filmmakers, sometimes just using a song to score a scene other than having, having score the entire time. Uh, so in season one, we have quite a bit of that. So we usually would have between 25 and 30 minutes of score, and then I'd say eight minutes, six minutes of, of songs uh, in an episode. So considering we have a 15 minutes episode, it's a lot of music in, in general. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something like five plus hours worth of music uh, from Narcos. But the, the release that Lakeshore have put out, it's quite, there's, there's still quite a lot of music there, but it's, it's not too much. You know, it's something I listen to regularly and it's, it's always kind of, it always kind of leaves me wanting a little bit more. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I hope we get more of it at some point. Yeah, well, we'll certainly get more. We're releasing a season two album. And as far as going back, yeah, there's a lot of music from season one, but I felt I would choose the the, the, the highlights and, and actually try mm. to create an album where you go some tracks like grow, go from, from an action scene into the Pablo's theme. And to, so try to create an experience of what it would be watching the show. You know, the, the flowing from track to track without sometimes having a break. I think there's almost no breaks in the, if you play the CD from beginning to the end, if you're not just playing track by track, you would, it would play all the way through without much silence, I think, in between tracks. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic, um, it, it plays like an actual album as well. It doesn't, you know, you know how sometimes a film score sounds like a film score? Yeah. Um, but with, with Narcos, this actually just sounds like an album to me. You know, it's great that it's a film score, but you can listen to it just as a record by, you know, yourself. Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. I, I agree. I don't listen to it much. I live with that music for for months and then i don't i don't usually go back to my to my records to i listen to other people's music in my free time spare time but uh from what i remember yeah i'm very proud of the the, the album i think it turned out great and it has rodrigo's song on it Soy el fuego que arde tu piel. Soy el agua que mata tu sed. El castillo, la torre, yo soy. 
which uh, I think came out beautifully. I mean, we we originally we were thinking about collaborating on that and maybe him collaborating on the score a little bit, and it turns out with his touring schedule and he's a member of a huge band in Brazil and he also has a solo career, so he was touring Europe. So we ended up being completely separate on both ends, and and when he sent us the song, we were all in love with it. So we think it's a it's a great song. Yeah, no, it's it is. It's a fantastic song. Yeah, and I think this is the last season with that song. Actually, I don't know if I should be saying this. I don't think it's a problem, but because since season three, we won't have Pablo anymore. That's part of the marketing campaign from 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 Netflix saying that Pablo dies. So I'm not spoil. I'm not. It's not a spoiler here, but. So we'll probably have a new a new opening uh, for season three. Oh, fantastic! Well, listen, Pedro, it's been fantastic talking to you today. Uh, I won't take up any more of your time. Um, what's what's coming up for you in the future? Well, I just I just wrapped uh, season two of Narcos, like I said a week ago. Now I'm I have a bit of a vacation with my family, so that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. And then I have another uh, Netflix show about the whole Brazilian situation. The scandal with the president that was ousted and the corruption scandal that's been going on for for a few years now. So Netflix bought that, and, and I'm excited to do a show telling the story in the veins of like the Elite Squad movies and politics in Brazil and what's going on there. Which I think it's even though it's my country and I love it, and sometimes it's, I feel bad about telling the bad the bad aspects of it. But I think <laughs> I think it needs to be discussed and it brings about conversation. So I have that show coming up and and possibly a movie now that we're negotiating so i can't really talk about it but but i think i'll do a, a movie in the second semester of this year so keeping, keeping busy excellent stuff well as a fan of your work it's great to hear that there's plenty more coming uh, our way soon narcos is available now on cd and digital through lakeshore records with a vinyl release coming on invader shortly <laughs>